0: Seinfeld, the postponement is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who've been drinking a cafe latte since the fifth grade and haven't looked back. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiva Winneker. Akiva, how are you? Well,
1: I think the fifth grade was the last time someone called it a cafe latte.
0: I was ready to go with that, that nobody has called a latte a cafe latte since this episode aired. So we are ready to go.
1: They don't even call it the Starbucks craze, which I would assume like one year later, they probably would. This is like the beginning of the coffee craze.
0: Yeah, I feel like Starbucks kind of came on like end of the 90s, right around when Seinfeld ended. I feel like that's when Starbucks first really caught on. I feel like that the first time I remember going to a Starbucks is probably around 1999, 2000.
1: Yeah, but it is funny. You know, last week we had a laptop, right? Mm -hmm. And this week we have... uh, you know, we're talking about, like, the beginning of the coffee craze. Like, you see these little inklings of, like, the, you know, the, the the second half of the 90s where, like, most of the 90s culture we know really came from.
0: Yeah, it is an interesting idea that a study of Seinfeld is a study of the 90s, that we start in 1991, we end in, what, 1998, so... We mm-hmm. really do see that decade as these characters experience it
1: uh yeah i mean I, the, the first episode is what is 89 even yeah. but uh the first real season is ninety one. um the yeah i do think um we'll see mu- it just feels much more modern this seventh season
0: yeah so we are off to the races in
1: the 90s no more hammer time it's over right I'm, we're not sure i think <laughs> we'll decide in the next few weeks if the hammer time is over but yeah this was september 28th 1995 i'm Happy twelfth birthday to Akiva! I'm twelve years old this week. Oh yes!
0: Wow. Uh, so your birthday is September twenty eighth.
1: Twenty sixth. Twenty sixth.
0: Okay. My dad's birthday is September twenty eighth.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Next, there the only Seinfeld episode on my birthday is uh, is the second episode of next season. Uh, was actually on my birth. what would have, I guess, theoretically been my bar mitzvah I was 13. <laughs> there you go. Um, so it made me a man, the soulmate. We'll talk about that next in, in uh, four months.
0: Okay, so we're talking about the postponement here today. This is where George tries to push back his wedding. A good three months that we talked about, Christmas time in last week's episode. He's trying to push it back to March 21st here in this episode. Really, in the scheme of things, not that big of a deal to push it back three months, but I guess when it's the waning months of Susan's
1: life, I guess it is a considerable <laughs> amount of time. He really extends her life by doing this. This is almost yeah. like a gift from the gods.
0: Yes, this was a stay of execution for Susan to push back the wedding three months. So really, it was a uh, actually a huge deal for Susan.
1: Yeah, and, and also, like, you want to get married during sweeps, right? You want to get, like, the wedding planning should be February sweeps, not, like, the middle of december when the show's not even on the air that's well, we're gonna right miss the wedding then
0: that's right so a lot to talk about here today as we discuss the second episode of seinfeld season seven keeve you got any news to talk about before we jump into the episode
1: um i'll give you i'll give you uh news i pushed off from a few weeks ago because we've had some you know news heavy episodes but i someone did send me it's not a, such a new article but it's a uh it's a vulture new like a new york magazine article about the seinfeld economy and there was some, a few stats in there I really liked. The Seinfeld economy.
0: So that is the world of economics based around Seinfeld things
1: or from Seinfeld? It's things that were featured on Seinfeld and how it was a boon or not a boon for that product or that. Okay. So there is no modern day Seinfeld economy. I think it's much smaller. Okay. Got it. I mean, it could still help you. I'm sure like...
0: Uh, yeah. I wasn't you know. sure if it was an in- economy of seinfeld memorabilia or you're talking about the economic impact of things that were mentioned on seinfeld at the time of its airing
1: yeah i mean there is a economy of seinfeld memorabilia but it's it's not it's not large it's not like gdp stuff like the like what we're gonna hear so a few a few stats i liked so snapple in 1994 and snapple's you know on the show uh quaker oats pays a 1.7 billion dollars for the company and then while the show, while Seinfeld's still on the air, it resells it for three hundred million. Wow! Yeah, really, one of the worst business deals ever. Yeah, <laughs> their, their attorney was a young Alexander Chester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like you guys got to buy it. one point seven's a steal. Still no sign of Wendy the Snapple lady. I don't believe I. I'm trying to think when when Wendy the Snapple lady came to. I, it may have been between like after the '94 uh, purchase and before the resale '97. Yeah, sometime around there. Sometime around there. Really, one of the least uh, like. Uh, useful pitch people of all time
0: have we talked about on the seinfeld podcast that i wrote to wendy the snapple lady when i was in
1: high school see it's tricky because i know i've heard you tell the story yeah, probably the podcast, i think but it but probably
0: when it came up i don't know early, this earlier one. along the way i think we probably talked about this the listeners are like yes yes we heard about
1: wendy the snapple lady junior Mint get sold for 81.3 million dollars wow just six months after the junior Mint episode it's a very refreshing deal yes uh the festivus poles company uh, guess how many poles they sell a year 800 at wow. 39 bucks a piece that's like a real business that yeah, is a real business <laughs> uh, megan mulally yes uh it says she was getting five thousand dollars an episode and then she went on seinfeld and she got eighty thousand dollars an episode to start will and grace okay that's pretty good uh and it says a uh, tom's restaurant never uh never once asked for a dollar they never got any money but they do say five to ten percent of their business comes from people who are just there as like seinfeld, seinfeld tourists. tourists
0: okay i got it makes sense to me what was Megan Mullally doing on Seinfeld?
1: Oh, we saw her already. Oh, we saw. Her? Well, who was she? She was. Uh, she was. Did not look like Megan Mullally at all. Remember, she was. Uh... I think this
0: is really attributing a lot to her being on Seinfeld. That we're getting. You know, she was like doing what, and then she starts on Will and Grace. I mean, I feel like that. That is a little bit of a leap to say it was the Seinfeld bump.
1: Yeah, she was. Uh, she was in the implant, Megan Mullally.
0: Okay, so. You know, like, uh, yeah so i guess all right so maybe she didn't
1: make mulally her career but no i think the story was like that uh they didn't wasn't who are we talking about they didn't trust them and then they saw the tape that wasn't mulally that was somebody else I oh so the Terry other Hatcher. big news oh yeah no Courtney Cox. this all blends together after yeah. a while it was somebody recent who uh i don't know johnny deel's johnny deel's <laughs> sent the story i don't remember what we'll have to do um, a
0: re-listen on the second time through we'll have all the facts straight
1: yeah, we're really going to pick apart everything we're saying. Mm-hmm. By the way, like, don't I mean, worry that this is wrong. Yeah,
0: Will and Grace doesn't even start until 1998, so I can't imagine that Megan Mullally's guest spot in 94 or 95 on Seinfeld really launched her career.
1: Yeah, so all right, so Rob is not buying the Mullally stuff. Not buying right, it. The other the other news we have this week is uh is related to the podcast. Oh good. If you remember, we had we had a debate last week about Mario Joyner. Yes. Right? Did Jerry call up Mario Joyner and say, hey, come to the movie with me, And we, because we see them outside the movie after the movie's over talking, or did they happen to run in, into each other outside the movie, and either they're comedian friends and they're talking, or they were both there alone, so they just happen to be talking like some people do after a movie. They say, you know, the person next to them, How, what do you think about the movie? So during the podcast last week, I tweeted at Mario Joyner, and I asked him basically that question. You know, were you there mm-hmm. hanging out with Jerry, or you know, were you there uh, on your own, and you just happened to run into Jerry, or did you have a beaches body? Yeah, well, the beaches body thing never got, uh, yeah. never really got to bit Midler's <laughs> well, attention. Maybe Bar-
0: Mario Joyner was going to comment on it.
1: Yes, but um, uh, some people did, you know, favorite it and, and uh, retweet it, so it got it got to his attention. He doesn't have a ton of followers, and he, he had like tweeted three thousand. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he gets a ton of interaction. like, mm-hmm. if you have three thousand followers, you see every tweet at you, right? He should come on with us. Yeah, we could get bump those Twitter followers up. Oh yeah, we could we could get him we could get him the uh, we could get him the RHP bump. Yeah. The so anyway, he doesn't really know how to use Twitter, so he tweeted today, didn't at anybody, and he tweeted went to a movie if I remember correctly, hmm. which probably confused. Although he did get one retweet and three favorites for <laughs> yeah. for uh, that tweet, which no one probably knew what he was talking about. So I so he is implying that as far as he remembers, him and Jerry went to the film together. Okay. So, point, Rob. Yes, point, Rob. I believe you were correct here. Yes,
0: okay. A rare victory for Rob in any sort of podcast debate. Uh,
1: yeah, but listen, I mean, it's, to be fair, what Mario Joyner says might not be canon, <laughs> but you know, we have to take, you know, we're asking all these actors and actresses as if they were writing the episodes, like right. they're just reading the words. Now, he may not have asked for his motivation in right. that scene. He might and, not have.
0: And it creates... Quite a paradoxical situation when we get to the Puerto Rican Day parade, which we may need him to come on to sort of explain where maroon golf comes into the situation.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get to that in uh, in 50 episodes or so and we
0: can talk to him about it. All right. There we go. All right. Let's get into talking about the postponement. As we mentioned, September 28th, 1995, written by Larry David, as you mentioned last week, the first couple episodes of the season written by Larry David. And we start off with some sort of weirdness going on on the street set. We have Kramer looking to parallel park a car in a space that seems way too small, but he's sizing it up. We also see Jerry and Elaine walking down the street, and Elaine is bringing up this rabbi who lives in her building who happens to have a TV show. He talked to the person who had the dog on, And the dog is now going to stay outside. So we have some resolution from the dog situation from last week. So that's good. And we introduce the rabbi. And so then we see Kramer just like ramming cars to fit in this
1: spot. And Kiva, we have then no sort of payoff to this in the rest of the episode. No, it's just like a uh, like a background bit for the Jerry and Elaine conversation. I do like the fact because they rarely do this on the show that they're tying up last week's episodes last week's episode to begin this week's, which I you know makes me happy. I think that's something they should do. More of, you know, with it, without, like, really boring the audience. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, but then they, they're right. Then they're letting things from this episode sort of go unnoticed.
0: Don't you think that's really weird, though, that we see Kramer just bumping cars? We have a whole episode where, oh, she hit this car. She didn't leave a note. Kramer is just ramming cars in front and in the back. Nobody seems to notice. Like, there's so many things about parking, parking spaces in Seinfeld. It just is absurd. That
1: Kramer is just
0: bumping all these cars around and nobody notices.
1: Yeah, I mean he's like a monster. Somebody who does that and like doesn't leave a note or anything, that's that's a bad person. Like everybody knows
0: everybody in the neighborhood. You would think that somebody would say like, "Hey, there's Cosmo Kramer. He's ramming
1: everybody's car today. What a lunatic." Um, I agree. I, you know, everyone knows Kramer, so it's, you know, it's weird that that no one's calling him out for it. He's making a lot of noise also bashing the cars, but Maybe they like him so much you don't want to you know snitch on Kramer, although he will snitch on you. Yes, yes, that'll be a factor in this episode. So now we have
0: Jerry and Elaine talking, and Jerry is really a, a man without a country in this episode. Uh, no storyline whatsoever for Jerry. He's a bit of the steve nash of situation comedy here that he's just like a providing assist to all the other characters in their stories but no story of his own
1: look at you with the sports with the nba reference not really a current one but we'll go with it uh yeah i think but also a better a better example would be someone who like gets two points but like 15 assists in the episode yeah whereas nash would also score 20 i think yeah jerry really has no storyline it's just like i'm gonna go to jerry's house and talk to him about something that's really his storyline in this episode right He's going to go talk to Elaine. He's going to go talk to George. He's going
0: to go to the movies with Kramer, but does not have any story of his own to share here in this episode. So he says to Elaine about George, how he's getting married, and Elaine wants to know, is he happy? Cut to George not being happy with Susan at Monk's.
1: Um yeah, I mean you 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 rarely see George happy with Susan in, in any place. Yeah. You know, he is almost permanently depressed with her.
0: Yeah, and George and Susan get into this conversation where George starts off talking about how the bathrooms in this country have a major issue. Why don't the doors on the stall extend all the way down
1: to the floor he does george have a point here i think it's worth discussing yeah i don't know if he's right or wrong but i do think it's interesting and worth talking about yeah personally i love when you end up with a bathroom with the door and the, it goes all the way down to the floor so it's all it's, it's i mean it makes all the difference in the world yeah I, and some really don't go down far enough um you never want like the little kid crawling under the bathroom stall That's right a bad one right Yeah,
0: my son recently did attempt that, and I had to uh, grab him. To you
1: or to a stranger?
0: No, to that I had taken that he just like started using the potty and fraught with all sorts of complications that people who don't have kids uh, couldn't possibly imagine, but (laughs) that I had taken him to, we went to Universal Studios in Hollywood, and I took him there, and then he was like attempted to like, hey, what's that? Who's, Who's over there? And they're like, get, get back here. Get back here. So he didn't get far, but he did attempt to say like, hey, there's somebody right there. Let me go check out what's going on.
1: I'll tell you when I'm always in favor of it also. The like, there's a lot of like, you know, have the unise- unisex bathrooms now. I don't know if you've run into any of these. right? But those like you want them all the way down.
0: Sure, sure. And that's a whole different debate that we couldn't even fathom in 1995. But yeah, it's actually two different things that, that you bring up. The extending the door all the way or the wall all the way down or just the door. I was thinking of only the door, but you make a good point of extending the wall all the way down. Why do I need to see what's going on next to me? Like, I think there's a better oh, case yeah. to be made of keeping the door with, okay, at least I can see if there's a, like a giant puddle in there or feet in there, but I, there is absolutely no reason why we have to unless you're saying like oh it's easier to get in there with the mop by having the door not that high i I don't need to know
1: what's going on next to me yeah and listen i've been on i've been on the record since day one that i'm anti all public bathrooms yeah i hear that you know and and i've said like i when i used to work on the eighth floor on nbc like i would walk down to the seventh floor take the elevator down to the seventh floor because jimmy fallon show wasn't taping on sundays like you have a bathroom all to yourself right right it's yeah. much better than, you know, like uh, walking, in, you know, I'm, I'm, what's it called? Like walking in, there's like 20 guys. I got to wait on mine. It's yeah. terrible. I feel like we haven't
0: talked about this in a long time, but it is well documented in the podcast.
1: Yes, we have. We, yeah. The beginning of the podcast was mostly public bathroom talk, but we really <laughs> evolved to other things since then.
0: Yeah. And so <laughs> Susan says, OK, well, the reason why that the door is short so you can see if somebody's in there. And George says, well, isn't that why we have locks on the doors? Now, you know what I really like? is the lock on the door that sort of has like the green and the red incorporated into it. So you can see if the door is locked visually as opposed to having to push on the door. You ever have that move where you push to see on the door and then somebody actually is in there?
1: Yeah. And you know what's even like what my That's least favorite great. one? This is this is more of like a public single bathroom, like a restaurant style bathroom. Yeah. Where you knock on the door, it's closed. You don't want to, like, fidget, because, you know, if someone's in there, there's a good chance they didn't lock it, whatever. You knock on the door, and it's, like, loud in the restaurant, and you're not sure if you heard anything. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, there might not be anyone in there. And if there's no one in there, they're literally never coming out. So I'm just waiting here like an idiot. And if I knock again, then the person's going to come out, like, super annoyed. Like, why do you keep knocking? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Susan
0: says that the it's a backup system to the locks. And George says, like... How could we have a backup system like this? This is a complete breakdown of the system. Susan's had enough. She says, uh, can we change the subject, please? And George says, why would we change the subject? We're talking about this. Shouldn't the subject just resolve itself based on its
1: own momentum? Yeah, she says it doesn't have momentum. But to be fair, they are eating here. Like She could say, like, hey, yeah. let's continue this conversation after we're done eating. Like George is clearly in the wrong. Yeah, Akiva, one of the
0: things that I like most about you is I, I don't believe we've ever had a conversation, and maybe somebody can find one where you've said to me, "Hey, can we change the subject, please? Can we, can we not talk about this right now?" Uh, which uh, I feel like um, my wife might say to me constantly, but I do appreciate you do let the conversations end of their own momentum or volition. Well, some people would say we let the conversations go on too long, too long, too long
1: <laughs> about and unimportant things. But Scott, what would I say? Would that? That? Like, what I'm momentum? Say, like, what volition? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Keep all conversations short. But I don't like what am I going to say? Like, uh, sorry, Rob, that's none of your business. That's not really like our style here. Right. That's right. (laughs) And
0: George, we go inner monologue on George. I can't remember the last time we got George's interior monologue. He says, how am I going to do this? I'm engaged to this woman. She doesn't even like me. Change the subject. Toilets were the subject. We don't even share the same interests as we know that George's interests often are toilets, toilet paper, anything scatological. That is where George knows that this is a woman who is of his own heart when she talks about these things.
1: Yeah, and it, we don't get Susan's POV here at all, which just you know continues to show she's this bit player. She really doesn't matter what she's thinking. We have no idea. Yeah, Susan is so different than where the Susan
0: that we met back in season four. Like, remember when Susan was like a strong, independent woman who was one of Russell Dow Ripple's like key people at NBC yeah she's a hot mess now (laughs) now she's almost like this uh like little insecure baby where just what three years prior she's really just like one of the uh, key figures at a major network where Russell's
1: like I trust her instincts that she's really I mean was Russell was the only person that liked her there yeah I, I listen she she you know she's fallen very far She's experimented with a lot of things in the last few years. I guess so. And uh, this is her real fallback Plan Z. She does say in the episode, like, my parents told me not, uh, you know, that he's too neurotic, that he, whatever, like, don't, you know, you shouldn't get engaged to him. So, like, clearly, you know, there's people telling her that she's making the wrong move here, but she's just so desperate that... uh You know, she's sitting there just with George crying. But it's amazing that she was never able to rebound. I mean, that she seems
0: to be like the number four or five figure at NBC back in season four. And she gets fired at that point. And I forget exactly. It's it's something because of George. Like there's like there's some sort of like internal politics where he ends up getting her fired from that job. But you would think that she would be able to. I mean, this is the cable TV era. She can't get any job working in television ever again.
1: Right. And it's right. It's not like she committed a murder. Right. She got fired for having a relationship with a with a showrunner. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's not an unforgivable sin, I think, in Hollywood. No, I wouldn't think so. 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 Maybe she just
0: didn't like that job in the first place, and now she feels like she's found herself. But it does seem odd that
1: Susan, from where we find her in the show, this is what she ultimately has become. Yeah, we see a broken and beaten down Susan. But ultimately, <laughs> George can't really – like, he you know, he could date her. But he, I don't know if he could long-term land the TV executive. Although, to be fair, George was a mess in season four when we saw him. And now he's, you know, way or way higher up the totem pole than he was three seasons ago right you know he's an executive with the yankees that's in charge of their bathroom decisions apparently by the <laughs> way like he's talking about the yankees like in another scene or two right he's talking about the yankees extending their bathrooms yes he's the assistant to the traveling secretary they really have a a like a, a very like futuristic culture there like now i could see like everyone's got you know it's it's almost like the nba where like anybody could be the point guard or anybody could be the center that's like some startups have that now right mm-hmm. where it's you know, don't don't worry about arguing with the CEO. You could say whatever you want. I feel like the 1995 Yankees, which you know reportedly were were a dictatorship with George Steinbrenner, were actually a lot like that, where the assistant to the traveling secretary can voice his opinions on literally anything. Yeah. Well, maybe
0: that in this Steinbrenner run Yankees, you could just just go to George Steinbrenner and then he could say, "Oh, that's a good idea, George. Let's let's make that happen. Let's get that going." I mean, he was able to make the cotton uniform so feel like that the bathroom stalls seem like that maybe that's not that far fetched like he was changing the oil in the popcorn uh last season I feel like that this seems like maybe something else that he could potentially be involved in.
1: Yeah, we never see him do his actual job, though. No, it's never <laughs> like uh, I'm, you know, I got to rebook the hotel for the Yankees when they go to the Angels next week.
0: Right. He does deal with the executives or the scouts from Houston at one point. I don't know if that has to do with being the traveling secretary, but well, um, I don't know how the traveling secretary <laughs> would deal with the scouts. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good point. All right. So this kind of irked me in the episode. So we end up seeing Jerry and Elaine down on the street having this conversation, which ends on, does George seem happy? And then Jerry and Elaine walk into Jerry's apartment, seemingly like their conversation was on pause and Jerry answers Elaine. Yeah, he seems pretty happy. I know it's a funny way to wrap around that George scene, but it seems unlikely that this conversation just was going in circles The entire time that Jerry and Elaine walked from the street up to Jerry's apartment.
1: It's fair. It's a point in the in the art, you know, in the favor of our argument that nothing happens when we're not watching. Right. Maybe Elaine's cell phone
0: rang and then uh, she was on the phone for 15 minutes and then got off the call right before she walked into jerry's apartment and they just picked up their conversation except for the fact that jerry and elaine don't have cell phones in 1995
1: right yeah there's you know who knows what what they could have been they could have gotten off t- off track maybe they ran into a third person on maybe, the street for a minute maybe maybe that's
0: possible I, I like that theory that maybe there was somebody else in the elevator and somebody was talking to them but anyway so uh jerry and elaine are talking and it looks like that jerry is starting to pry he gets the sense that Elaine does not seem too enthused about the whole thing. What do you think about
1: this storyline that Elaine is bummed out that George is getting married? Listen, I could see a person in their mid-30s suddenly realizing one day, like, I'm single, is it ever going to happen for me? I'm depressed. I don't think it's so unrealistic. She's got three best friends. If it was Jerry, she'd be, you know, practically suicidal compared to this. Well, no, I was going to say that this is incredibly realistic. I think this is one of the more realistic yeah. storylines that they deal with uh, in the post-Season 7 era. No, I agree. I agree. I think that it's very possible that, you know, we've all met people like this, that just one day, like, ah, I don't know if it's ever going to happen for me. Right.
0: Not a hot take at all, but in terms of marriage and kids, when, you know, you... Ha- have somebody is getting married all the people who are already married are sort of happy like oh good there's more more married people that i can hang out
1: with oh here's more people and misery loves company also right
0: misery loves company where the single people are sort of like oh you believe this guy is gonna have a kid oh what, what an idiot He's so stupid. He's getting married, whatever. But the married and the people with kids are just happy to have more people uh, in the same boat. On their team. Yeah. All right. So Elaine is really annoyed about this. And Jerry accuses her of being jealous. She says, oh, you think I want to marry George? Like, no, you're jealous that maybe you're the one who wants to get married. Elaine says, I don't want to get married does elaine want to get married that we never see her tie the knot Oh, uh, we see her in the finale reveal her love for jerry she does get into a serious relationship with
1: putty do you think a marriage is something that is high on the list for elaine bennis yeah it's a good question i think a relationship is high on the list more than marriage if that makes sense she doesn't seem kid crazy i think she just wants to be in a serious long-term relationship i don't know if she needs to put labels on it but i, I do think she wants a serious junior. boyfriend Yeah, that's right. I think at the very least she wants someone to come home to every night.
0: I think she's probably in the same boat that Jerry and George are at where she probably has moments. where, like, what am I doing with my life? Who am I?" I? I mean, we saw her at the end of the last week's episode. She said, I'm not a woman. I'm a kid or something to that effect. So I think that she probably does go through that existential crisis like the guys do as well. So here comes Kramer. And so Kramer is saying that, uh, he is very upset because he has just realized that the stuff with the dog from last week is going to be on their permanent record. Where did Kramer suddenly get this insight from?
1: I think he probably, you know, spoke to a lawyer, maybe Jackie Childs, who we're going to meet next week, or spoke to a, you know, the the cop. And you know, they listen. They got they got booked, right? We don't know, It all happens off screen, but they got in some sort of trouble. I don't think they had any jail time besides being arrested. Yeah. But, you know, someone must have told them that, that, you know, there's going to be some sort of uh, stain on their record, I guess.
0: Yeah. And Elaine is like, I don't care, whatever. You know, I, she doesn't seem to mind about it. One of the other weird things that's going on in this scene is that Elaine, while she did not have this on the street, in between that conversation where they started talking about is George happy, Elaine and Jerry acquired a six pack of Budweiser. And the or at least a three pack of Budweiser that Elaine is holding the ring, which holds a six pack of Budweiser. Three of the beers are gone. So I don't know if it's the kind of thing where it was like you in a convenience store where people have already bought like three of those cans. And Elaine is just buying three cans. Elaine opens one of the cans of beer. She kind of pounds it while she's at Jerry's apartment. She ends up leaving with the six pack slung over her shoulder
1: did this seem incredibly
0: bizarre to
1: you? Uh, In general, yes, it's an unusual scene. Elaine just pounding some brewskis in the afternoon. But I think this goes with what she's going through in this episode. She's like, I don't care about my life anymore. I don't want to get married. I'll just, you know, drink my troubles away or something.
0: Because it seems to be that Jerry is almost like, it seems like there's something off about you. You would think that he would mention the fact like, boy, you're drinking cans of Budweiser in the middle of the day, something I have been friends with you for seven years now. I have never seen you drink a can of beer at my apartment or walk around with a six-pack over your shoulder.
1: Yeah, I listen, this is a new era for Elaine. It's the depressed Elaine era. So I think she's allowed to, uh, you know, sling some beers around her shoulder and go pound. I mean, she does finish one beer just in the few minutes she's at Jerry's house also, yeah. right? And then smashes the can. So, all right. We now see Elaine at
0: her house, uh, where she runs into the rabbi. Uh,
1: what is the rabbi's name? Okay, this is a good question because the rabbi uh, here is named uh, Kirschbaum, but in uh, in a few, you know, when we see we see him a few more times, he will become Rabbi Glickman. Okay. Hmm. So they give him two different names in the in the uh, three episodes. Could he's in. Kirschbaum be his first name? No, Kirschbaum is a Jewish last name. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just trying to explain it. It could be like Kirschbaum Glickman. Okay. It could be like, it, you know, sometimes like the husband and the wife merge the names, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be one of those, like, it could be like Bruce Kirschbaum Glickman. Yeah.
0: All right, Akiva... Speak to me about the rabbi and uh, the depiction of uh, Rabbi Kirschbaum.
1: Well, should we just call him Rabbi Glickman? Because I feel like that's his ultimate canonical name. (laughs) Uh, It would be like not knowing Kramer's first name is Cosmo, even though we know it. It I think, you know, in general, so I asked a bunch of my friends what denomination you think this rabbi is, because it's not so clear. And I'd be curious. And the friends I asked were Orthodox. I'd be curious if, like, uh, maybe an Ariel Glassman, who's I think conservative or more on that track, had an opinion uh, for what the what the um, rabbi is. Because I think I think the rabbi is Jerry's uh, LD, who's writing the episodes, wacky idea of like what a weirdo Orthodox rabbi would look like in his mind. Mm-hmm. Because you know, the, like, he has the black hat. It's not a. You know, I'm. you live in L.A. I'm sure you see people with, like, the real black hats, right? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, this yeah, is yeah. not one of those black hats, right? People that are, aren't driving a car and walking around. Aren't driving car on Saturdays, you mean? Right, right. I mean... Well, they
0: drive a car during the week. I'm not unless, seeing like, them when they're driving a car during the week. I'm just seeing fair them enough. on the day that they're not driving a well, car.
1: Well, you don't, st- you, don't, you don't stop at a light <laughs> and see, ooh, I wonder who's next to me. Ooh, it's a Hasidic guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more so in New York. No, i not not recently in L.A.
1: Okay, fine. I don't drive But, but that you're much. not driving in New York, so then, yes. it's not, then you can't do that. Um, uh, so so this hat could be purchased, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know if he's like an Orthodox guy. To me, in general, he... I, oh, and another thing is like he tries to set up a lane with his nephew, which is not like a typical thing an Orthodox rabbi would do with a uh, shiksa, as Elaine titles herself in a later episode. Yeah. Right? Like you know, he'd probably want to set up his nephew, assuming he's Jewish, which I guess his nephew is Jewish, with a with a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, this rabbi he's he's like kind of a stereotype. Um, what do you think about the rabbi?
0: I mean, yeah, I feel like uh, probably stereotype uh, that he seems like he comes off very annoying and uh obtrusive you know it was really hard to gauge the the gossip angle in terms of like were they saying that all rabbis are doing this or is no because
1: jerry jerry says like he's not indicative in a later scene right yeah he said like we're good at. i guess also he wants elaine to keep telling him secrets so he's like the jewish people are good at keeping secrets this guy's the exception Mm -hmm. but he tells elaine in the apartment later in the episode the so i you know i grew up my father is is an orthodox rabbi Um, and it's funny, like, you know, this guy's thing is that he just blabs to everything. My favorite, I, you know, I'm, I I was 30 years old two years ago and I'm in the car with my dad driving somewhere and I'm in the passenger seat and he gets a call and it's some sort of rabbinical business. I don't know what it was, but it was some sort of like both time sensitive and like, uh, you know, it needed privacy. So he's like, Akiva, do you have your, um you have like an ipod or something or an iphone like something you could listen to music on i said wow he's like all right turn it to the like turn it on and turn the mute like the music on to the highest possible level because i need to have a conversation we can't like pull over the car on the highway but you can't hear it he froze you out yeah he froze me out i had to i had to not that i was super interested in like uh you know the kid in his school that was probably in trouble or whatever and what they did Mm -hmm. but like you know uh you know i like it was it's just the the funny flip side of this rabbi where like he's very you know, like you cannot hear one word I'm saying, and you need to blast music in your ear while you're sitting next to me. And I didn't; I couldn't hear a word he said. Okay. So
0: Elaine and the rabbi talk, and he notices that something is troubling Elaine. He says, basically, "Come into my office. Let's go upstairs and have a talk." Are you surprised that Elaine goes off with the rabbi to have this talk?
1: Yeah. Well, why does Elaine care? I guess she just needs like a neutral friend to tell. Like she doesn't. Want, she can't tell Jerry that she like is super upset about George and she thinks he's a loser. So she needs this neutral thing. It's cheaper than paying a therapist, right? The rabbi's free. I guess so. You know, so I, I, that's the only thing. You know, he lives in the building. I guess to her, it's, you know, he, he should have a steel trap, right? Everything he tells her is, is rabbinic confidentiality. So, uh, you know, th- to her, I, I, it kind of makes sense. Like, yes, she's not a religious person and she's not even Jewish. But I, I think it makes sense. Like, why not just talk to this rabbi if he's willing to talk?
0: Okay, so we go back to Jerry's apartment. He's reading the paper and George comes in. And he needs to get Jerry's opinion. I like how they sort of jump into this conversation where uh, George asks, "Can I get your honest opinion about something?" And Jerry wants to know, "Have I ever been less than forthright?" And George uh, gets, "Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't. I think I think you have." And, and Jerry's like, "Well, yeah. What am I saying? I probably have not been. Uh, what am I talking about?" <laughs> Which is a funny meta conversation. And so George wants to get Jerry's take on the stalls at Yankee Stadium. Jerry is pro the door extending. He says it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I you know, I hear what he's saying. There aren't a ton of downside to it other than the probably expense of doing it.
0: Yeah, so I think that's uh, probably pretty good. Again, I think that there are some custodial concerns here in terms of this idea. But overall... I feel like that's always a nicer experience if you can get it with the doors extending all the way down. And George tells Jerry how Susan didn't like it. She said, can we change the subject? And Jerry says, well, shouldn't the subject resolve of its own volition? And I really
1: like that they go back to That's exactly what I said, except I said the word momentum. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I love about this conversation? They just made a pact last week to stop caring about stupidity. Mm-hmm. And now their like most pressing concern in the world that could cause George to break up with his fiance is a conversation about the length of doors in a bathroom stall. <laughs> right. And George has goes back into crisis mode. I'm getting married in December.
0: How could I be doing this? I need more time. And Jerry says, hey, if you want more time, you should have more time. Uh, and George starts to buy into this. OK, we could postpone it. And so he comes up with the date, March 21st, the first day of spring.
1: Rejuvenation, rebirth, everything's blooming, all that crap. It's not bad. And, you know, now we're speaking, it's the first or second day of the summer. I hear you. You know, it's like it's a new it's not if you're going to pitch it to Susan, it's not a terrible pitch. I feel like a crazy person might hear this and say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. This is all so bizarre. Okay, so let's assume this episode airs on September 28th.
0: And let's assume the events of last week's episode, even they happen, say, September 1st, or even over the summer. I mean, what arrangements have been made in this wedding? Is there a hall book? Are they getting married at a justice of the peace? Are Susan's parents taking care of everything? It just seems so crazy that if they have a date set for December, that it just seems so absurd that they would be able to just cancel it, push it down the road. It, it's not like reservations
1: at a restaurant it's a wedding yeah you're forgetting something what's that they got engaged last week okay how how many plans could have been made <laughs> do you think a non-refundable deposit has been made since last week when his parent when the parents like Also, well, if your kid comes home and says do you remember that that weirdo loser i met uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. i'm engaged to him uh, and like, and let's say you had to pay for this wedding, which ostensibly, like, if your kid was marrying a weirdo loser, you're probably he's probably right. at the point in his life where you're probably paying for the wedding. Uh, wouldn't you say, hey, let's wait a few weeks, even if it costs a couple extra bucks? Like, let's wait a few weeks and see if they do or don't break this thing off before we start throwing around non-refundable deposits for the hall and the cater and the flowers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so a very I think good nothing. Point. I think nothing has been done so far. If it was a few, yeah, they're very close to the wedding in terms of it's only we're only 3 months away from the wedding at, at the most mm-hmm. right because of yeah. late september but they've only been engaged a week you can't, it's not it's not as hard you know i know there's a lot of like bridezilla's and stuff out there but like it's not that hard to plan a wedding in 3 weeks like in my uh, like how i grew up the You know, a lot of times people get engaged and get married three or four months later, you know, to a full wedding with Hall and, you know, like in a real Hall and everything. So it's you can do it if you're willing to pay for it. Like, you know, if a Hall is not taken that day, they can do it. It's not a big deal. George is talking about how he's so stressed out. He
0: can't even turn his neck, which I think is pretty funny. So they go into postponing it and they talk about is Susan going to like it? And no, does not seem like Susan is going to like it. We find out that George is afraid of Susan. She
1: doesn't like to be disappointed. She's 5'3", 100 pounds, but she's terrifying. I think she is scary. Like, I totally, when George says that, I get it. She is intimidating. She doesn't seem that warm. You know, it's, it's like the type of person where you're, like every, you're on eggshells with every time you're around them. She's not like this, you know, happy-go-lucky person that you're just like, you know, saying, you know, like, oh, right, we're having a good time. She is pretty scary. I, I don't disagree with George. All right, so Kramer
0: comes in. And so we get Kramer's take on the March 21st wedding. And uh, George is going on about how Jerry's a good friend. And then we talk about how even if Jerry killed somebody, George would not turn him in. And so Jerry's very happy about this. He seems like uh, relieved almost that if he was to kill somebody, George would not turn him in. But he asks Kramer, if I killed somebody, would you turn me in? Kramer says, definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, this is pretty consistent with Kramer and his worldview of being a stickler.
1: Yes, they have very different views of seeing the world. George does not believe in authority at all, whereas Kramer, like, says he doesn't, but ultimately, I think he respects, like, uh, the law more than Jerry and George do. Yeah, to George, it's, like, the nicest thing he could say to you, and to Jerry, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. That, that uh, like, you know, th- there's no—I'm not turning you in. To, but to Kramer, this is like, what do you mean? If If that situation occurs— that means you're a murderer. So, like, I'm not turning in the Jerry Seinfeld I know, right? I'm turning in this this person who I, I, I didn't I really know. I thought I knew. Right? Yeah, who kills people.
0: Right. Kramer says, like, I wouldn't even think about it. And Jerry is trying to argue, but I thought we were friends. And Kramer makes a good point. Well, what kind of person are you going around killing people? And Jerry says that he would have had a
1: good reason. That's fair, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's not so black and white. Like, <laughs> let's say he kills an evil person, right? I think that's, like, should Kramer, you know what if he you know th- i think in, in kramer's mind it's probably newman that's getting killed right mm-hmm. so george george are, and jerry would not tell on each other whereas kramer is gonna snitch because he likes newman yeah what if it was crazy joe devolo see that's where like kramer shouldn't be so quick to say automatically i'm turning you in like if it's someone like crazy joe i think you should make the case that you know maybe maybe no one has to know maybe this could go uh you know un unsolved this murder
0: yeah I do like this bit of dialogue where Kramer says, uh, well, if you kill this person, how do I know I wouldn't be next? And Jerry
1: says, but you know me, Kramer. I thought I did. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad logic by Kramer. Yeah. They have some once good dialogue you, together. Yeah, Jerry once and you kill and one type. person, I do think you're probably predisposed to killing more. Okay. There's probably some stat about that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that once you, you sort of get that first one under your belt, I think then uh, they become From horror movies, that's what easier. they say, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's true in everything. I think that, the, you know, the first uh, first cut is the deepest. That's uh, what I've heard about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's true in all things. Uh, you know, the first, uh, first one, uh, once you get
1: that, that done with and uh, it, then it, all, it all happens a lot easier. Yeah. That's why people wanted us to do the first podcast uh, yes. you know, an- analysis. Yeah. Cause it only got better after the first one, probably. <laughs> all
0: right. So we go back to Elaine and the rabbi. Uh, We get official canon that uh, Elaine is uh, not of the same faith as the rabbi. Yeah, no surprise there. Okay. And so uh, that he is offering Elaine a number of snacks. Uh, He starts with uh, the snack wells. Do they still make snack wells, Keeve? I think they do. I just think no one buys them. Nobody buys them. But they were the bee's knees, I guess, in 1995. And so uh, she has all these feelings of jealousy and resentment. It should have been her. And this is where the rabbi is offering Elaine nephew Alex, but uh, Elaine is not interested.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because, like, Elaine, you know, you say, like, you're not sure if Elaine would be super interested in talking to the rabbi. Like, the rabbi is so monotonous and, like, boring that it's not the type of person Elaine would respect, really.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah but she must be so desperate to talk about this that she'll talk to anybody. yes okay
1: yeah and, and you know and maybe she just started a new job so she doesn't have the money to shell out for a therapist but like the rabbi is really dull and boring to talk to
0: so we go back to jerry and kramer now they're out on the street and this is where we have our cafe latte conversation so yeah, they're still talking about the uh who would snitch on who and they get into talking about the cafe latte and uh Jerry asks Kramer, you're having another cafe latte? Uh, and uh, Kramer is uh, says that he is
1: always drinking these.
0: So we find out that Kramer is always drinking cafe lattes all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, it's been his thing since uh, the fifth grade.
0: He hasn't looked back. So meanwhile, Jerry sees a poster for the film Planet Nine from Outer Space. Now, if I recall correctly, this is the same film that the Core Four wanted to go see during the Chinese restaurant
1: well it's the core three right because Kramer is not in the Chinese restaurant episode oh which is why it's interesting because if you if you hear the conversation it's one of the more like specific callbacks of the whole series because Jerry says to Kramer I was in a Chinese restaurant with George and Elaine and we tried to get a table and we didn't like one like Kramer's never heard this story before because Kramer was not in that episode and remember he said to them you know he says in the inside look like you write me out of an episode again just write me out of the whole series actually jason alexander says that but kramer has a similar has a similar take after the chinese restaurant that was i think that was george's take after the pen or something like that he didn't like that but uh yeah so kramer doesn't know which is even you know they have this idea for the movie and it's funny they waited five years for this movie it is a good callback and then like i'm impressed the writers even remembered that kramer wasn't there Mm
0: -hmm. so i mean seinfeld was in syndication at this point it must have just been that's true i do think (laughs) when
1: the show gets in syndication the writers know the show better than beforehand that's a good point
0: yeah all right. So that Jerry ends up uh, dropping a piece of paper on the ground and uh, he uh, antagonizes Kramer and says, oh, that's littering. You're going to turn me in. Uh, we go back to George and Susan now and we see George at his apartment. And Susan also you're just going back to Susan having nothing going on. Is just sits on the couch all day. She's in the same spot every time George comes home in this
1: episode. Yeah, she might actually be suffering from some sort of depression, and that's why, like, one of the reasons she's dating George.
0: Yes. Okay. So she talks about how the Lowers want to get together. It's not Matt
1: Lauer, right? I don't think so. I don't think the Lowers are hanging out with depressed Susan and George. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Susan used to work at NBC. That's not a bad point. That would be maybe that's what they meant. Maybe they
0: meant Matt Lauer. Hey, I remember who are the other when Lowers. I in, <laughs> when I was in high school. That I used to watch Matt Lauer was on like a Today in New York, like the uh, like the five a.m. version of the Today Show.
1: All right, so maybe it's Matt Lauer and his wife, assuming he's married. (laughs) Like that's that's actually not a bad call.
0: (laughs) So showing like
1: Susan's parents are rich, so she's still still sort of in high society, right? Yeah, maybe she hired Matt Lauer at NBC. Well, that's I mean that's possible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so George has
0: an unbelievable idea. He tells Susan that. How about this okay uh, and susan's like it's not about the toilets right now no okay how about we get married march 21st first day of spring
1: susan immediately goes into what do you mean you want to postpone the wedding yes yeah, sh- i mean this listen it's very easy on paper to say three months is not a big deal yeah but you know when when you know you're just springing this on someone i see why it would be like uh first day of you springing know, it on somebody yeah oh, yeah. oh yes <laughs> all right but to me Kiva, I feel like almost there is no
0: more tragic scene in the entire series than this where Susan says to George, if you don't want to marry me, just say so. Just say so. And George, the the coward, the weakling, in this moment, he could save Susan's life if he wasn't such a spineless jellyfish. If he could just (laughs) say the words to her i don't want to get married susan may
1: still be alive to this day it's funny we're trying to like you know we're we're gonna spend the seventh season trying to like save susan any way we can like come up with all these ideas where like had she just done that she would still be there i mean again george is prolonging her life by three months mm-hmm. and i don't think the decision has been made in the writer's room to kill her off at the end of the season by any means yet
0: no Maybe the decision has not been made, but we know that she is on a collision course with a death at the end of this season, and George does not love her. He does not want to marry her. It is only his own spinelessness which is causing him to go through with this wedding if there was any other way out that he would take it, but he just can't bear to
1: have the conversation with her. I don't want to marry you. A conversation that would save her life. Listen, you know the butterfly effect, right? It's like, who knows? Maybe she could have died sooner. I think the odds are she probably wouldn't have because she's a healthy young person. But, you know, any all of these things could have either negatively or positively affected her, like, ultimate lifespan and stuff like that. Like, it's hard to really – like, George doesn't know that he's going to become, like, this cheap guy who buys the cheap invitations. You don't – you know, there's, there's, you can't really blame George. George is just acting here – right now, George is acting rationally. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, the rational decision, though, would be to get out of this situation. He doesn't want to be it. No, he's not. Is he sure he doesn't want to marry her yet? Or is he just not ready? Like if she said, do you want to marry me in two years? I think he'd be fine. Mm -hmm. it's just this prolonged engagement which is a little questionable for people who just met each other that's the issue right yeah i guess it depends does george truly want out or does he truly just want more time yeah we don't know and maybe we'll learn more as the as the season goes on but right now in george's mind i think this is just too much too soon for him yeah so we go back to jerry and george and
0: jerry immediately knows that she cried and you caved and George's like how did you know that Is I live and breathe, my friend.
1: I live and breathe. Yeah. Listen, you know, George, is he the biggest crier in the world? No. But I think he'll cry to get some to get his way. I think it's a good it's actually a good move here. I kind of respect the crying here. So
0: Jerry brings up, well, at least you probably had some good makeup sex after. George says that (laughs) I didn't have any sex. Uh, Keeve, uh, permission to speak frankly. Sure.
1: (laughs) How much of a thing is the makeup sex? Is is it even a thing? You know, I was thinking like for, let, let's let's go more macro here. George has never heard of it, right? <laughs> Which means like, is it a sign? Was this a Seinfeld? Even if the concept isn't a, a Seinfeld creation, Did they invent is, it. Is the term at the very least the Seinfeld creation? Right. <laughs> very interesting. We really need. Uh, we need, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? W- who does the etymology of words and stuff like that? A linguist. We need a linguist mm-hmm. uh, expert, if we have any, like, uh, linguistics professors or anything in, in the listenership. Because, like, I would love to know, like, where did terms like, you know, some of the, you know, like, the yada yadas and the makeup sex, like, terms like that. Like, how mu- what percentage of the credit does Seinfeld really get for starting it? Is it? a thi- Now, to answer your bigger question, is it a thing? I, wa- I think Seinfeld made it a thing. I think it probably is a thing now. Right. Right. It's only a thing that people are aware of. The concept is it an urban legend or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't right. know. I'd need but, to like, make up with somebody first before. I, you know, <laughs> if I ever right. make up with someone, I think I would, I would find out. But
0: without going into too much detail, uh, I cannot think of the circumstance where my wife is saying, I know I was just mad at you, but now I've had a complete reversal of my feelings towards you. That, that is not happening at my house.
1: Right, I think, I think everyone's different, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I do think, uh, yeah, you, gotta, you have to earn your way back into the into good graces. It's <laughs> okay. not always instantaneous. <laughs> All right, so Jerry says, in your
0: situation, the only sex you're going to have better than makeup sex, how about this, Akiva, is if you're sent to prison and you have a conjugal visit. The second episode here in a row where one of the characters makes a allegory to going away to prison
1: yes i think uh and listen we never really see if they get conjugal visits um you know certainly jerry and elaine are both in jail so if that's going to happen after the after the series after season nine they can't they can't visit each other right i don't think a prisoner gets a conjugal visit from another prisoner um yeah but yeah i I think i like you're right i I do like that we're going to have these jail references and let's track them i wonder if this is the only the second one or if it's the last one like let's see if there's a ton of them in season seven eight and nine The question is, did they know that that's what they wanted to do from this far out? See, I would say, remember, like, Larry writes the finale, and Larry's writing these three episodes and just a couple more in season seven, and then he goes away for essentially the next two years. Uh, You know, it's a good question. I don't know if Larry... I I think Larry has probably answered that. I'll do some research and see. I suspect he has too, right? I I don't know. I don't know at what point... You know, because every year they're going in thinking that, you know, by season seven already, certainly by eight, that there's a good chance that's the last season and they almost mm-hmm. get a stay of execution for season nine. It's a good question. I, I, I don't think that he thought that far ahead. To, they may have like on a, you know, one day when they're bored talked about it, but I don't think he is. He has really even considered what the end game is going to be. He certainly so hasn't settled on it. I, that just doesn't seem to be the way they operate at all.
0: To me, I feel like the story that I remember hearing, and maybe this is apocryphal is that they sort of were like, "Hey, how do we get all of these people to come back for the episode? Oh, what if we had a trial and we could bring them all back as the witnesses to testify against them and that was sort of the sort of like the structure of the finale more so than how do we get these characters into jail by the end of the series
1: yeah no i, I so you're saying like the sort of the main plot is just that like a stand-in to get these side characters back, which is weird. weird, but makes sense. Right. right. First, they come up with the idea it would be hilarious to have thousands of callback. Right. Let's bring everybody back for the finale and what are we going to
0: do? Are we going to have, you know, Jerry and Elaine's wedding or something like that? Like, what's the structure that, like, oh, what if we had them all be testifying against them? I think that's sort of how it works. But we'll, we'll get to that. More on that in about a year. So we end up with this couple that's at Monk's and we, and we zoom in on this couple And the woman is crying and the man says to her, I can tell you're very upset, but I'm not going. And he goes back to eating his sandwich and then says, you're going to eat those fries. And George is completely
1: moved by this. And he goes over, shakes the man's hand. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going back in. Yeah. So he's inspired, I guess, just by this guy's like, I don't care how she feels. I'm just plowing ahead and getting through with this. You're going to eat the sandwich. He was impressed with that man's insensitivity. Yeah. No, I I think it's a good thing to be inspired by. I thought that guy was a really bad actor too. Yeah, he. I, I feel like he may have won some prize to get there. Right. <laughs> really hard to blow just one line, but I felt like
0: that uh, he was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess hard to get somebody really experienced also to come in and do one line. Are you going to eat those fries?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm checking out his IMDb, and I don't know. Uh, you know, how, oh wow, he was like one of the. He was like a regular on, according to Jim. Oh, he went on to do that. Good for him. He was on Superman a few times. That's really his only main gig was that he was like a not a regular, but he was on 22 episodes of According to Jim. <laughs>
0: OK, we go to Jerry, who is now at Elaine's house. He runs into the rabbi. The rabbi says, oh, you're going to go see Elaine. She's still very upset about her friend George. Uh, she's feeling bitter and hostile.
1: Yeah. And the rabbi uh, totally spills the beans here.
0: Right. He says that she used the word loser numerous times and jerry's like oh well, this is news to me so jerry is very uh, interested to have this information he'll go upstairs and we'll get him in a lane in a moment george is back with susan who seemingly again has not left the couch the entire day
1: no really we only see susan in the apartment last episode and now this episode okay except for the one scene amongst
0: right and so uh she's asking you know how was the day and Here's something I need to get your take on. We see George walk over and put something seemingly into a hamster slash guinea pig cage. Keith, did you notice this?
1: No, I didn't notice it at all.
0: He walks over to the right-hand side of the room. There looks to be some sort of, like, gerbil, hamster, guinea pig, rodent-type cage uh, with, like, tubes that things could run through, and he, like... Throws some things in there, almost like he's feeding a small animal. He makes no mention of it. Does George have a pet? Does Susan have gerbils? What's going
1: on? I'd have to rewatch it. I, I, it's, it's something I completely didn't notice. A lot of times I'm also taking notes while I, while I watch. So, you know, I, like my eyes are on the screen and then they look away for a second. So I might have just missed it. <laughs> it's a very subtle thing.
0: But anyway, he goes to Susan and he starts to talk and then immediately he starts to cry and he's frightened and he's scared and he doesn't know if he can do it and Susan is very
1: reassuring to him. Yeah, I don't know what her motive is. I guess she just like wants to see him stop crying. He's like so sad. He's not even saying words. Like you don't even know what he's saying. It's just like a lot of gibberish that's coming out over the crying. Yeah.
0: But I think it's just sort of human nature. One person is crying, the other person goes into consoling. It's like the whole beaches thing. Where if Jerry was the one that was crying over beaches, whatever her name was, would have come over and been like, oh, Jerry, it's okay. Uh, And she probably wouldn't have gotten as upset herself. So you always have that one person who's the crier and the other person is the consoler. Yeah, or the cryee, I think, is the technical (laughs) term. Right, right. Okay. So then she says, we can get married whenever you want. Wait until the end of March. That's right. Why doesn't she just
1: cry back and he'll have to move it back to December?
0: (laughs) No, no, that she just basically I think that Susan is so insecure that the first time where he says we need to push back the wedding, she immediately goes into, Oh, why? Because you don't love me? Where here he's coming from a place of vulnerability of like, this is going so fast, I don't know if I can do it. And she's like, They're there, you know, hey don't don't go anywhere we can do whatever you want so i think that it's sort of like the first time it feels like that she's being rejected the second time i think it feels like almost that he is just uh coming from a place of where i don't know what the right word but he's vulnerable too so i think that he's opening up to her and he's never shown that side of himself to her and i think that she feels like they're getting closer because of this okay so That's the psychology of Susan. All right. Anyway, let's go back to uh, Elaine and Jerry up in Jerry's apartment. Elaine goes off to uh, have some exposition where she
1: needs to go get a magazine for Jerry from her bedroom. I think it's just an excuse for him to go up there.
0: Yeah. And so that while he she's getting the magazine, he
1: mentions that he spoke to the rabbi. Right. Yeah. I mean, Elaine had no reason to trust this rabbi other than like, you know, this rabbi in particular, but like. It's a pretty serious violation of trust. Like, I don't know what you do about it. I don't know if you could like call his congregation, like call the president of his temple or whatever, and tell on him. Like, I, you know what I mean? I don't know like what the recourse could be. Wait, what but, are you like, uh, Kramer? You're gonna narc on him? No, but Elaine has a reason to be mad, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Like, what but you know, like I, the thing is, like maybe that's why he changes his name. Maybe <laughs> like he loses his job as a rabbi, and like to work as a rabbi again, he needs to change his name. You know, from. Uh, whatever to kirschbaum or vice versa yeah um so i uh, but uh yeah so elaine is uh she should be a little more mad here i think yeah probably anyway so that jerry seems very
0: tickled about this about how it really didn't take a lot of prodding i must say and uh, elaine wants to know he's a rabbi how could he have such a big mouth and jerry sort of wonders that uh, sort of to speak to your point is yeah that's what's so fascinating as in like, you could tell a rabbi anything. They're not saying a word to anybody. That's why this guy is such an anomaly.
1: No, for sure. Yeah, there is, like, a concept of rabbinic confidentiality. And, like, really, it's, like, his main job is, like, not to not to be, like, you know, this is also, I, this is, you know, Larry writes this episode. And then you have the maybe done even better and curb your enthusiasm when, when Larry has the shrink who will talk about his famous client's. Without saying their name, but with the, like the clear, you know, like with giving like, so I had this client and he was really depressed, even though he directed Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, so like with giving them away because they were famous, but without saying their name, just by like an identifying detail, like, you know, this guy who let the ball roll through his legs in game seven of the 80s, of game six, of the 86 World Series. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that they almost redid the story on Kerr better than they do it here. All
0: right. Well, we go back to Jerry and Kramer on the street. And they are in the movie line. And Jerry says, hey, you better finish that cafe latte. They won't let you in there uh, with the drink. And uh, Kramer has never heard this rule before. He says, well, that's stupid. And I said, well, that's the rule. And Kramer says, well, we will see if we can get around that. So how quickly did Kramer get the cafe latte to the movie line, to when he ultimately
1: trips and falls. You mean, how is it still hot, is your question? Right. That's my question. Good question. Yeah, I mean, maybe he got it next door. I mean, it's not the era where there's a Starbucks or some sort of coffee shop that you can't walk three three doors down without seeing one. But let's say we see him. He's on it. He gets the line, gets the ticket ripped. He's in there within seven minutes.
0: Right. No big line for Planet Nine from outer space. Sort of just so right. they show up. So what's the quickest that he could be five minutes? So I guess it could still be pretty hot. But I feel like if it was so hot that I don't think that Kramer would be able to withstand it in his pants for that long. And I mean, this is 1995. I mean, we do not have the Java jackets uh, really in place at this point. No,
1: I know. I I agree with what you're saying. Like it would it would have been it would have burned them up even like the condensation would have burned them up.
0: Right. Right. If it was hot enough to scald him, he would not have been able to uh, – and again, like just like walking with a cup of coffee that is full in your pants, I don't know how you would, how you would do that without it just completely spilling all over you from the moment you tried to do that.
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I actually – I hadn't thought about this, but you really um – you really are uh, bringing up a good point. Try here. this at home. But- <laughs> Take a
0: paper cup, fill it with water, and put it in your pocket and try to walk around. <laughs> See how that goes.
1: Well, you know, Chester, I think, on the 32 Fans oh, podcast has, has been uh, very uh, adamant about sneaking in food and other stuff to movies. Like, he, you know, he, I, I forget what he said, but like, they, they'll like go to CVS before the movie and they'll get the snacks they want and they just bring them in. Mm hmm. And I think it extends to drinks. I'm not sure what his drink policy is, but (laughs) just no respect for the movie theaters. uh... It does sound familiar. (laughs) So uh, I don't know, but (laughs) just the like,
0: you know, this is going to be referencing this McDonald's coffee lawsuit, which is, you know, kind of like a, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about this. like It was sort of like the sort of keystone, frivolous lawsuit of the 90s, but apparently or allegedly then this person actually did get really really badly
1: burned from the coffee right yeah it was a very famous lawsuit in the 90s which i assume happened right before this
0: yes because it's sort of like the punchline of the episode that kramer is going to sue which really does not hold up as a joke to end an episode on as we will get to uh in a couple of moments but that the temperature of kramer's cafe latte very interested in it because i feel like that a latte itself is uh often not as hot as a cup of regular coffee because i feel like that the milk is not going to be as hot no
1: yeah that's a good that's a good point i think uh listen ultimately jackie child is a great lawyer and he could have convinced people that iced coffee was too hot
0: (laughs) okay all right so kramer puts the cup of coffee in his pants uh more on that in a moment so uh, we see the rabbi with elaine again and uh, Elaine asked the rabbi some questions and wants to know, why did you tell Jerry about what I said?
1: Yeah. And he, he's like almost like, what do you mean? Like he has he's almost uh, unaware that yeah. it's it, you know, that his main job is just like not not tell everyone he knows about other people's secrets.
0: Yes. And so he felt like, well, he just thought it was never going to happen for her. And so he just started telling everybody He told Mrs. Winston. He told uh, the guy on the fifth
1: floor, and Elaine is mortified. Yeah, he told Don Ramsey. I mean, not Don Ramsey. Come on.
0: I mean, is Elaine – I mean, yes, that this was sort of a violation of trust, but is this the most embarrassing thing that you could find out about somebody that here's a woman – that her friend is getting married and he's a loser and she is kind of jealous.
1: No, and, and but but remember there are things that we find out in the in the final scene that she told him that we didn't even see yet. That are like not about not about her, yeah. but maybe there's more stuff that we well, don't know put about a her pin too. Pinning that
0: because I am very eager to talk about that when okay, we get to fine. the final scene. Okay, okay, so we see Jerry and Kramer at the movies, and again uh, every time they try to go to the movies on Seinfeld, there's always an issue with like getting to seats. It seems like. And Kramer is trying to get to his seat, and uh, this is uh, some really good physical comedy from Michael Richards because he really does play this well. You feel for him when he falls down; that he has been burned with the coffee. I mean, you don't see like close up of anything like that, but you know what has happened.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, he gets burned, and I don't know why the movie theater is so mad. Like he already spilled the coffee. Like he does he does he even is he allowed to see the rest of the movie? I'm assuming not. <laughs> well, it's funny because immediately the usher comes over and wants to know what's going
0: on here. And the usher goes, oh, what do you got? One of those cafe lattes in your shirt.
1: Yeah. Like this is the 12th time this week that's happened or the, or the usher is the world's <laughs> greatest, you know, he's like MacGyver.
0: <laughs> so, cause they're so trendy, I guess that's what, that's what they're trying to say here, that everybody is trying to sneak cafe lattes into the movie theater. And so I think that this is also very subtle, but also very funny. So, the usher wants to know, uh, like, what do you have? Kramer says, I don't have anything. Ask him. And Jerry makes the cup gesture. So Jerry, in fact, is the one who narks out Kramer in this episode. Yeah,
1: but he wouldn't have done that had Kramer not said, I wouldn't squeal on you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it all comes around. And the usher's like, all right, coffee boy, come on, bring it out. Uh, so he has to take uh, Kramer out of the movie theater. Uh, so uh, kind of a funny ending to that story. So anyway, we go back to uh, Jerry and Elaine and finding out about the whole thing that the uh, the cute guy on the fifth floor doesn't want anything to do with Elaine. And Jerry is clear to say here, you know, if I could say a word here about our Jewish people, uh, this man in no way represents our ability to take a nice piece of juicy gossip and keep it to ourselves. Is this the not that there's anything wrong with that of this episode?
1: Yeah, I think it works for two ways. It's Jerry being self-serving. Don't assume that all Jews can't keep gossip in the in the framework of the show. Like Elaine, you could still rely, you know, you could still tell me things because I want to hear the juicy gossip. And also, we don't want a bunch of rabbis, you know, and Jewish people calling up uh, the you know NBC's hotline and complaining after the episode. So let's make it clear that this rabbi is is you know sort of a, a lone wolf. Although, I was thinking also like between the rabbi and the mole, not a great combination for like you know Jewish sort of religious leaders so far that we've seen on the show
0: <laughs> well basically any figure of authority on Seinfeld is often depicted in the worst possible way that's true that's true although the Latvian Orthodox guys they came off okay <laughs> I guess so I guess so there's nobody who runs an organization who is depicted as like sort of like a reasonable rational uh, effective leader of an organization yeah good point all right so then we see George come in And so Elaine now is, uh, this is pretty funny about how she's like, Georgie, I'm so happy for you. You deserve it. And uh, she's, you know, like, oh, you've matured. You've grown so much. And George is like, okay, well, like he doesn't know how to take it. uh, And says, you know, thanks so much. And so uh, she's like really just like beaming, heartfelt congratulations. And so George, everything's going good. Until George says to her, like, hey, look, and if you ever get a date, maybe the four of us could go out together sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he really emphasizes like, ever, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, like, hey, wasn't there that guy on the fifth floor in your building that you said you liked?
1: <laughs> yeah. And Elaine really handles this well. She's sort of like, all right, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And George says, uh, boy, she is something, isn't she? And Jerry's like, yeah, she's
0: something. Anyway, so uh, we find out that George tells Jerry, yeah, he burst into tears. He bawled uncontrollably. And if he wanted to, he could have postponed it five more years. And I'm sure Susan and her family would have wished that he did. Yeah, he
1: really should have for his sake also.
0: Yeah. Okay. Finally, Kramer comes in and, uh, you know, Jerry says he's sorry about the movie thing. And Kramer says, hey, what are you kidding me? This was the biggest favor of my life. I spoke to a lawyer. We're suing for millions.
1: Yep. This will continue next week. This is uh, next week's uh, one of next week's plot lines.
0: Yeah, what for? And Kramer says the coffee was too hot. And Jerry says it was supposed to be
1: hot, not that hot. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. That's what we go out on not that hot. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that the tag piece is very good after the commercial break. Yes. So this it's not a good be- you know first ending, but the second ending is actually really you know one of the sure. more interesting parts of the episode
0: but i count the sort of like that ending that like that's really sort of the end and this is sort of like the encore
1: at the end of the episode yes, i agree but here we just it's a rare case where the encore is better than the you know fade to black type thing do you feel like that the not that hot killed in 95 no i don't think i think it's again this is a plot driven episode again much much more than Just like last week. So it didn't kill. I don't think there were a lot of jokes in this episode that really killed. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about this final scene. So we mentioned
0: that Elaine's rabbi or the rabbi who lives in Elaine's building, he has a TV show. And he's on TV talking about things. And he goes on to tell this story as George and Susan, just like the last episode, are watching TV in bed. And he talks about how... (laughs) that he has a young lady, let's call her Elaine, who happened to find herself overwhelmed with feelings of resentment and hostility for her friend, let's call him George. She felt like George was somewhat of a loser and that she was the one who deserves to be married first. Okay, uh, I'm with you all there. And then he adds, she also happened to mention to me that her friend had wondered if going to a prostitute while you're engaged, is considered cheating. His feeling was that they're never going to see each other again, so what's the difference? But that's a subject for another sermon. Keith. Yeah. Does this Dropping sound a bomb. One, like anything George Costanza has ever said on the show. Does George Costanza seem to you like someone, like Uncle Leo, who is
1: visiting prostitutes? No. I, I even think this conversation was more the same way he's wondering about the bathrooms. It's almost like technical, and it's not something he's even considering. It's it's just him coming up with a hypothetical scenario and debating it because he's got nothing better to do. Two, we have a point in this episode.
0: Elaine has not seen George since the news of the engagement. She we see we see the interaction they have for the first time since they have been engaged. So when did George confide in Elaine
1: oh about prostitutes? Oh, it, so maybe he made this up.
0: Either he made this up. Because that's a great
1: call by you. Wow. They, they never saw each other. And if, even if they saw each other afterwards, the, the Elaine's already spoken to the rabbi and she's never confiding in him again. So, and she even says when you're engaged. like Unless this is something that George wondered before he ever got engaged weeks ago, and it's a coincidence. Right. Let me throw out another hypothetical. Does Elaine now
0: know that the rabbi has a big mouth and is Elaine so upset with George for his dumb comments to her? Does she know that the rabbi has a TV show and that she now knows that the rabbi says everything that she tells him? So does she want to use this against the rabbi and put out misinformation to make george look bad and possibly ruin his wedding and ruin his relationship with susan by putting out this information about the prostitute that's some next level theories yeah pretty good that, that's so like i like both your
1: theories because number a, a one little finger theory. yes you're really watching too much game of thrones i think yes number yes. and there's like a varus and a little finger you know connection here right and uh in the uh game of thrones
0: books i believe that when little finger brings sansa to the veil uh, he calls her elaine so uh who knows maybe that uh, that was george R. R. martin might have been a,
1: uh, a a pa on the set listen the theory that it's a mistake is actually even a better the- i like your next level elaine sabotaging george but the, it's a brilliant theory, but well, but the fact that they could never have had the conversation is is an incredible catch that no one's ever caught. I, I do One of the things I like about the show is that millions of people watch <laughs> it every day, and I do think that we, mostly you, are coming up with these theories that no one's ever thought of before. Like, we're doing, like, a Talmudic-level interpretation of the show that no one's ever done. And when people say, like, how do you do two hours on the show? Easy. Like, for that one... Yeah, oh, we could do three. We're rushing. We could do Trust three. Me. Yeah. <laughs> If time was no, if we had a Chester 36 hours in a day schedule. Right. Where, you know, he, where, boy, because honestly, if we had the extra 12 hours in a day, most of it would go towards watching more TV and just doing things we already do, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It it wouldn't be like, like, if we got 36 hours in a day, it wouldn't be like, oh, we're going to learn a second language. Yeah. (laughs) So Susan's faith, do we know
0: what uh, religion Susan is? Yeah, she's some sort of Catholic. Okay, all right i thought that maybe if there was a possibility if susan was jewish then no, i would b- put more jewish. credence into
1: this theory that they watched the rabbi show that susan might know but why why are george, two non-jews george and susan sitting in bed and watching public you know rabbi gethard like with this you know with this tv show like the chris gethard of rabbis who, who like pays for his own public access tv show to to talk to people and it, like, why are they watching it? How because bad it's is on? Yeah, but they have cable. Like George is talking about they had, they do because they're talking about the MSG and rewatching the Yankee yeah. game last
0: week. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, that I, I feel like if I had a gun to my head, I would say that this was in one of the many monks conversations that I feel like that George probably asked the hypothetical: Hey, if you're engaged and you go to a prostitute is that cheating? You're not married. You're never going to see the prostitute again. Isn't it sort of like some sort... Of, I think that that was probably where
1: this came from, if if at all, unless this... I mean, the, the rabbi is a lunatic. Well, the rabbi is a lunatic. Like, it, yeah. it's possible he even made it up. I love that he uses their names. Like, let's just call them and use their real names. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, this scene ultimately, because it's kind of a... I don't even know how to describe the episode. It's kind of like a, an, almost like moving the plot forward not super consequential or memorable episode. I think the ending actually is, you know, it does boost it up a little bit when we talk about the ratings now and stuff. Like okay. I I I like this scene a lot.
0: All right. Well, let's jump into it a little bit here. So, Jerry, do we say incomplete for Jerry? Yeah, it's almost impossible to rate his storyline. Okay. All right. George is he gets the title, the postponement, he gets a lot
1: of the screen time, he gets the scene at the end. What do you think about George? Um i mean he does a good job crying like i like the toilet paper conversation i'll give george a a b i'll give him an a
0: i feel like that it's a pretty memorable a lot of this stuff that he does here in the episode and jason alexander does a great job with uh what he's given here so I'll, i'll give him an a uh what about
1: elaine and the rabbi um you know i liked it the first time it's not especially funny this episode for whatever reason like there aren't a ton of scenes but it still kind of feels really short hmm uh i'll give that a b i'll
0: give yeah, that storyline a b give it, i'll give it a b also i feel like that and you know not the funniest thing in the world that the rabbi is just telling everybody about this uh what about then kramer with the coffee not a lot of stuff here but uh it does set up going into jackie Childs.
1: yeah you know we'll rate it next week we're gonna give it an incomplete and we'll okay. and you
0: know. yeah so I said right before we came on, this is kind of a weird episode. You sort of have like this one storyline that George has and then a couple little things uh, for Kramer. Really, Jerry's bouncing around in a lane with this storyline of uh, sort of like this actual like emotional thing of being unhappy for somebody else's happiness.
1: Yeah. I, to me, if you're watching this in real time and then in the season premiere george gets engaged you're watching the next week to find out what happens with the engagement yeah a little soapy it, so that's what i'm saying it's more plot driven so i can't even criticize it too much i can't kill the episode okay uh no stamps for this episode okay so Keith, then where do you have this episode in your rankings uh again there are just are there any really memorable jokes i do like the rabbi subplot i don't know how well it like it holds up uh again curb your enthusiasm takes this um takes this plot and knocks it out of the park in its final season one of the last episodes of the of the show until i guess now when it comes back uh so i have it at 108 108 there you go kind of low kind of low didn't crack the top 100 yeah i wouldn't again there's just almost every like almost every episode of the last four seasons has been funnier than this one but Mm -hmm. it's not a boring episode at all like it's interesting but again it's hard to gauge the plot ones against like some of the episodes we have coming up like the gum which is just like joke 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 joke
0: yeah it's like it's to be continued from last week's episode yes okay all right, Keeve, let's dig into our Seinfeld mailbag that comes in every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. The mail keeps pouring in episode after episode.
1: So where do you want to start? Uh, you know, we discussed, I forget if it was last week or I think it was last week, the, someone wrote in and asked if we would be the MCs at their wedding. A yes. listener wanted us to MC their wedding. MC Hammer. Yes, well hammer time Time. yes well for her hammer time is still going so i think uh you know we weren't sure if they were joking because sometimes people like to play tricks on us we don't know if they you know being serious or not uh and so i said like you know let's contact us if you're serious whatever so she wrote a long email that i think is great so let's uh let's read it and and we could talk about it okay so she writes in let's make up a fake name for her. we won't be like the rabbi we won't give her a (laughs) real name uh let's call her george that's confusing
0: uh, no okay so you make up the the
1: fake how about georgette. georgette georgette okay so georgette writes in should, should she be for, susan if she's getting married hopefully not okay <laughs> yeah don't scrimp on the uh, on the stamps there's plenty of things that you could go cheap you know go cheap on the flowers nobody cares <laughs> don't go cheap on the stamps um I, I like we're almost at the point where it's going to be polite to it'll be like acceptable for society for us to email invitations right right it's for a wedding i think it's tacky you could probably get away with it for like a bat mitzvah nowadays or something, you know, a sweet 16, like something that's a step down from a wedding. You could probably Yeah, get as away long as it. you say like, "Oh, we we did this for the environment." Yeah, oh yeah, blame the environment. That's true. And right. not not the fact that it costs like I don't I mean, you you got married. Like it's bizarrely expensive to send that invitations to a wedding, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, mostly uh, it's like, you know, um because the weight of the things, so Yeah, the we weight like, of the it's... thing.
1: So stamps are more, plus like you, nice invitations are, I think, a couple of dollars a pop, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something like, like it, that. It's a lot of money. All right, so she writes in. First of all, I want to tell you how much I love your podcast. Seinfeld's the best comedy show of all time. The fact that I've made it through over 200 hours of podcasting about a 25-year-old TV show is a true testament to you two and your chemistry. I'm a psychologist, so I tend to overanalyze everything. I was trying to explain to my fiancé... What, what makes this podcast so good? And she thinks it's the synergy between the process of your podcast and the content. Seinfeld's a show about nothing and the fact that you guys spend hours discussing the absurd minutia. I, I mean, it's not absurd, and I wouldn't <laughs> call it minutia. It's important. Of an obsolete show's perfection. On a related note, I totally support Akiva, Akiva's infinite regression podcast idea, doing 180 podcasts about your recap podcast, and then doing 180 podcasts about those podcasts, and so on. She'd also love Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. Okay, on to the wedding MC idea. So she starts by saying that this idea was born from an internal competition she has with her brother and his wife. They got married a couple of years ago, and the wedding was a total spectacle in the best way possible. It okay. was a burlesque show, a belly dancer with a python, and subsequent food poisoning epidemic that may have been related to the python. I need more information <laughs> about how the python could have been related to the food well, poisoning. Was it the python crawling all over the food? <laughs> at first, I was once at a... Uh, uh i don't know how to explain it it's like a jewish event it, it, basically it's like um i don't want to say like bachelor party it's sort of the, um no it's not a bachelor party it's like uh like what do they call like the night or two before the wedding if they do a dinner rehearsal dinner. like a rehearsal so uh, it's like a religious version of that for the groom's family and friends and my friend who's getting married is petrified of snakes and so he, they went up to give him a speech. And at the end, we're like, hey, we love you so much. We got you this present. They hand him a box. He opens the box. It's a snake. OK. And they didn't know, like, the store was closed, like the snake store, or the pet store. is like, oh, we're sleeping in your house tonight. So, like, this snake's got to stay there because it's 500 bucks. We have to return it in the morning. I'm not paying for the stupid snake. <laughs> it was just for a gag. So he had to, like, sleep that night knowing that the snake that he's beyond petrified of was in his house. Oh my God. Anyway, OK. So we want more about the python story, Georgette. So she writes, even with all that, the wedding stingers stole the show he got completely wasted and was wildly entertaining. Okay. At first, he was just overly familiar with the guests, but eventually he got out of hand. By the end of the night, he'd asked to borrow a significant amount of money from my mom, <laughs> tried to kiss my dad on the mouth, ripped my sister-in-law's <laughs> dress, and almost fell backwards over a balcony. <laughs> Obviously, that maybe, maybe it was Littlefinger pushing her. Yeah, the maybe. Balcony. Obviously, not all of this is a good thing, but the point is that people still talk about the wedding to this day. Yeah, even you want you either want like a fun wedding or disasters that people talk about. Right, my fiance and I because I you know I like I've been to so many weddings and they all blend together. I don't know about you, but I don't remember like I went to dozens of weddings in like a couple years span because that's like my friends will got married when we were young, and I don't I, I couldn't tell you the difference between any one of them. You know, you spend like um, tens of thousands of dollars and there's it, it, nothing. I don't remember one thing about them.
0: Yeah, I just have to go by what was the i was in with my wife at which wedding like <laughs> oh yeah that was the fight where you didn't we you said that i was looking at that girl like oh okay all right that's right that,
1: okay that's your sort of that's the one that you didn't come to because we got a new fight on the way
0: right oh that was the fight where <laughs> you said
1: that uh i looked nice uh when i asked you well, how do i look <laughs> yes <laughs> nice all right so she writes my fiance and i are having a smaller wedding 75 people but we still want it to be memorable when you guys started talking about going to a wedding together, I thought this could be entertaining. Why did why'd that come up? Do you remember why we talked about going to a wedding together? I feel like that this came out of betting on everything. And it oh, was yes. Where- we want to go to Sean Falconer's wedding. Right. Uh, what are you waiting for, Sean Falconer? You've got to pop a question already. Sean Falconer's <laughs> wedding and, and gamble on like how many bridesmaids there are going to be and how long the ceremony takes, how right. many people get like, so drunk they pass out, stuff like that. Right. I like gambling at weddings. So when we start, uh, so we start talking about that. She said this could be entertaining. She doesn't have the details worked out, but as my favorite podcasters, you guys are more than welcome to attend. Your wives too. I would pay for travel expenses and potentially performance fees. Wow, depending on what we'd be doing. No payment for kissing her dad. <laughs> right. Reenacting the betrayal, maybe a speech about what Seinfeld teaches us about marriage. It, that could be pretty bleak, though. So maybe that's not the way to go. If you have any ideas, please let me know. Why? And the flight out for you is going to be considerable. (laughs) Well, the question is, where am I? So she writes the day. Mm -hmm. The problem is I'm with my... It's a weekend, it's a Saturday. The problem is I'm with my parents. Like we already have we have plans that were made like a year in advance that weekend. Ah, uh, how convenient. No, I I'm try I would get out of them to go to the wedding, but I don't I think they'd be annoyed.
0: All right, maybe we'll we'll follow up. We'll find out what
1: is the rate for us? What is the rate for the B team to come? What's the B team? What Chester and Mike Bloom? <laughs> well, they, they have to pay the she's not sending their flights. <laughs> but the, also here's here's my problem with the cuz right. I think it's like for I, I to be uh honest for one second like this is actually uh, i'm honored that she's even, yes. even she's joking yes that this is such a nice thing and i but the, to me the problem is you know for her like caring about her wedding now we're going to tank this wedding. No one's going to care that we're there. Right. If it was like, if it was like a big RHEP person that was like somehow only friends with like (laughs) your listeners. So, you know what I mean? If it was like the Johnny Silvera wedding, it's like everyone there was a RHEP person, let's just say. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, we're in the joke. Like it would make sense for you to MC that wedding. Yeah. Yeah. If, if half the guests there knew you like, okay, people's parents would be like, who's that weirdo? And what's a podcast. But at least right. people would be in on the joke here. It's like we're like you're almost setting us up for failure. <laughs> like, this also, is be a disaster. yeah, we are people that, you know, we're good.
0: If, we're OK if you're just listening to us on earbuds in yeah. front of a group of people, even 75 people. You, yeah. you and I are bantering about stuff. People are bored. Yeah. They're going to be eating the yes. bread. It's a oh, yeah. m- murmuring soup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, we, are, we are not hype men.
1: We're anti-hype men. Yeah, but do we have an idea? Maybe maybe for next week we'd come up with a... Because I do want her wedding to be better than her brother and sister-in-law's wedding. Like, How could I it be better? How that. could we beat that? Two pythons. Two pythons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we could beat it, but I think we could come up with an idea that doesn't involve us that beats it. Okay. All right,
0: well, we will think about that, yes. Uh, What's the date on it? Do you know? What, what month? If yeah, don't I believe have... it's the second Saturday in September. September, okay. All right. Um, something to think about. Something. Think, and you, what, what part of the country is this in? Uh, it's on the East Coast. Okay. Somewhere on the East Coast. Okay. All right. So let's table that and then uh, see if maybe we can, uh, we can think about that. But
1: truly an amazing email from uh, Georgette.
0: Yes. Uh, very, very, very nice. All right. Uh, Johnny DeSevera says, uh, Why didn't Jerry see Plan 9 or Planet 9 from Outer Space uh, originally when Elaine and George, despite uh, what happened in the Chinese restaurant, Was it only a one night situation? Was he not able to see? I believe it was one night only the last time. Yes,
1: they said it's one night only. Uh, Yeah, it's one of these campy movies, right? That like they're showing as a gag.
0: Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) Also, uh, Johnny DeSavera wants to know, what
0: do you two think that the redhead in Monks wanted her boyfriend to do that he wouldn't that made her break
1: down and cry? It's a good question. Right. I don't. It was so unclear. He said he like, wouldn't go somewhere. Right. Yeah. He wouldn't go somewhere. It was probably a wedding. Somebody probably is like, hey, they want us to come and be the entertainment. Right. And he said, no, he's like, that won't work out. It'll be a right. disaster for the wedding. And she cried.
0: It's probably like, uh, you know, go to dinner with my parents or something like that. Or my. Oh, tenure. that's not a bad one. Yep. Yes. Ten year yeah.
1: high school reunion or something. like that, Ooh, that sounds. Br- oh, did I mention my grandfather went to a 70th high school reunion? How was that? I, you know, I didn't ask him. I'm a terrible grandson. I, I meant to ask him. It's also, it's always a depressing answer. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, like last time I had one friend, but this time he's in like a nursing home. You know, it's, it's never like, uh, oh, it's great. I saw all my friends They're You know, a lot of them are dead. Right. Not the- right. They need to <laughs> cut it off at like 50, I think. maybe. But it's funny. He went to Bronx Science in like the 40s. And like he still like has a hatred for Stuyvesant, which is their like rival school from <laughs> the '40s. Like if you went to if you went to Stuyvesant in your in your in his mind, you're like a buffoon still. Even if you were like the president of the United States for two terms, if you went to Stuyvesant, you're like lower than anybody on earth. It's funny. Okay, uh, what else do we got? Uh, Lindsay writes in and says, uh, more important than the question of why bathroom doors don't go all the way down is why do they still have those weird gaps between the door and the wall? That's a good question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just think that they were desi- – like, everything about the bathroom design, I never really thought about it, but now it's all wrong. Not great. Uh, and she, no. And sure. writes, on a related note, more scatological talk from George. Why is he still talking about this with women? His track record is terrible. Yeah, I think men like this talk more than women. I, I would be interested to hear women's opinions on – what they th- like if they are more bothered or less bothered by like the public bathrooms that don't go all the way down and stuff like that
0: i that would be good to know i feel like that with uh many women we see like are having conversations in the bathroom maybe it makes it easier to ha- to
1: talk yeah i feel like women for whatever reason are more comfortable in the bathroom than than men i'm not sure why yeah right there are women like talk between stalls if you tried to start a conversation with your guy friend like you would be murdered and then no one would report it mm-hmm. yeah. speaking of which she says akiva if rob killed someone would you turn him? what about you rob should we say it at the same time one two (laughs) three no no No, of course not i mean if he killed like i don't know if he killed like someone on the jets i'd be pretty annoyed like a good player not not like geno smith don't kill geno smith but like i you know i I, no i if he had a good reason you know i would be like Stephen avery's family and i would just like not say anything (laughs) even if i became the the problem is like what if what if like I'm if the only two suspects are me and you, and then it's like it's not you. Then am I taking the bullet for you? That's a different question,
0: right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, some good question. That's a good question. Let's let's not go too far uh, down this rabbit hole for fear that we
1: might someday incriminate ourselves. Yeah, that's true. This is, I could see this podcast being played back the in the courtroom. Right. Oh, right. by the way, I would really enjoy that. Like, oh, wait, I got a good joke at a minute eleven, guys. <laughs> can we can we keep this going? They wouldn't play of any minutes. of the funny parts. They would be. All <laughs> I redacking. know, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> the okay. judge would be like wait two hours for seinfeld episodes yeah <laughs> what does liz have to say we
0: could plead insanity uh liz says uh, why are ministers priests and rabbis always portrayed so badly
1: on tv they come across as incompetent weak and silly yeah i think like you said on high sparrow is, that's right i think on seinfeld it's a it's more of a position of authority rather than religious figures uh and it's not funny to have them be like the straight man right and right. like they're the guy coming in and providing the goofy comedy yeah, And she says, how long were we engaged before getting married? Do we remember? We're, we're not 100 years old, Liz. I think yeah. we remember that. It was a long
0: time. I got engaged in October of 2008, and then I got married in August of 2010. So I guess almost two years.
1: I'm um, March 04, August 04.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. So, so really quick.
1: Hurry up. yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Hurry up. but we knew we were getting engaged for like a while before we got engaged. We probably had already started planning before that. Just officially got engaged in March. Okay.
0: So Craig from Vancouver says, have either of you ever cried to get something I did when my parents tried to give away my children's books without those books? How will I know where Grover is or know the plight of children
1: who are deemed too little? Yeah, he wrote children's books. So now is it the grandparents throwing out his kids books and he's like crying about this? Mm. You know what I mean? Or is it books for children? I, I don't know, Craig. I'm not sure i don't know
0: i'm trying to think of anything that i cried about recently uh no i can't think of i can't think of anything yeah
1: someone told me they cried to try and get donald trump not elected and it didn't work (laughs) was it ted cruz uh i could i had a ted cruz i feel like has never cried in his life (laughs) that's my prediction he seems like a guy who's right jeb bush cries every night before (laughs) bed no question okay what about amir uh amir writes in and he says uh She's not sure what – he's not sure what uh, Susan's issue with the bathroom stall conversation is. He thinks it's a good question and there's a number of potentially interesting suggestions. Okay. So one, it's availability. It helps determine availability of stalls if, if you see the people's legs. The cost, floor-to-ceiling walls cost more money to build, especially when the, the bathroom's already built. Mm-hmm. Adding on is, is annoying. Illegal activity, he writes. Yes. Enclosed stalls could lead to more sexual or illegal contact in the stalls. I know. Uh, yeah, you know, you go to – you see sometimes a dead spin. There's some crazy stuff going on in stalls. Those people are monsters. I mean I assume they're just very drunk. Mm-hmm. But anybody like going to like the, you know, the bathroom of a football game doesn't care about the stall size, you know. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll find a way. Uh, space, higher walls li- had have to be sturdier and thicker, would take up more space in the bathroom. Ventilation, enclosed stalls require, uh, require more venti- ventilation, uh, cleaning. It makes mopping, cleaning the floor is much more difficult. You can't mop across the floor from the outside. You have to go into each stall individually. I think you still probably have to go into each stall unless you have a magic mop that goes like 20 feet under the stall, Amir. Yeah. You have to open up the, 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 the stall door, I think, to clean the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, emergency no one can notice every medical emergency that's like an interesting problem
0: yeah i guess so um I, I feel like that there's probably ways to like split the difference i think that we could make the doors lower but maybe not all the way to the floor where i think that you could see if somebody has collapsed under there if you really got down on your hands and knees and looked, but maybe we could like drop the doors down uh, another six inches or so Uh, what about the idea of some sort of like a handle that when it locks, it extends like something down like eight inches further to sort of like have more of a divider. But I think that, um, technology will continue to improve in the bathroom stall. And George Costanza, I think will be very happy with the direction we go as a society.
1: Uh, yeah. He also writes in that the rabbi tells Elaine very often we can't see the forest for the trees. And she says, I don't know what that means. And he's like, so Amir says, isn't that pretty simple? yeah that she's too involved in the details of her problem to look at the bigger picture she's only never really heard this phrase yeah i think she's just not in the mood for any sort of allegory she wants the hard you know she wants facts okay
0: all right and finally chester writes in and says that kramer parks and leaves all his windows open in manhattan because that happens that was your problem with this scene chester kramer left his windows (laughs) open
1: after he rams two cars yeah chester is our new like yeah because chester's done that and doesn't leave a note he just but what he's never done is leave his car windows open yeah <laughs>
0: all right uh he says that it's clear larry david wrote this episode because jerry says it's fantastic in the larry david voice jerry does do a weird voice of like it's fantastic it's fantastic uh
1: it, was he doing a larry david impression we wouldn't have known that then because we weren't really familiar with the larry david voice but it's not it's not a bad call he might it's it's a little ld-ish all right Chester wants to know, Akiva, you grew
0: up in a rabbi's home. Is the sign that you're in a rabbi's house that there is a menorah on every tabletop, bookshelf, and other surface area?
1: It does look to be like a bunch of menorahs. Like, the rabbi appears to be a single guy. Collects mean He needs one menorah, but maybe that's his thing. Yeah, maybe he collects menorahs.
0: Okay, what is this rabbi's denomination, Chester asks. The black hat indicates orthodoxy, but his willingness to set up his nephew Alex and his was his. well Hold on, do you think
1: it was his nephew Alex Chester? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> and nah, he wouldn't. I, I think there's no way Chester's landing Elaine. I don't think that's. <laughs> and his single congregants
0: with a Shiksa indicates a much more liberal denomination.
1: Yes, but we right as he says, we find out later that Elaine has the Shiksa appeal that brings in all the Jews yeah. to the yard. <laughs> So we, we don't know. We just don't know the answer to that question. Should I ask Bruce Mahler if he's on Twitter? Should I ask him if, what, what denomination rabbi he is? Yes. Yes. See if you get an answer. I, I doubt he's on Twitter. He's probably old.
0: And then finally, uh, why did Susan move into George's apartment rather than the reverse? I don't recall seeing the interior of the apartment, but given her family's wealth, I would assume it's nicer than George's, even if it's not. It certainly would be decorated more nicely. George's walls are covered with sports paraphernalia and cheap kitschy crap. Like he does have an I Love New York bumper sticker, like just like thumbtack to the wall. That an attractive woman would marry George is tough enough to believe that any woman would live in that house without completely redecorating is a bridge too far. Boy, Chester really uh shaming
1: george in his apartment yeah his apartment shaming i think it is a good point like i think george should have moved into susan's but maybe susan lived with their parents
0: uh i don't know he does go to her apartment but it does not seem like the yeah. same apartment that we see you
1: know what? it's just that we have george's set and we don't need yeah. a whole new susan's yeah set. That, it's that's just a little interesting thing
0: and then finally he wants to know, who pours pringles into a bowl half the fun is eating them out of the can that is a good point i did notice that in the episode yeah but
1: that's your closer chester that's like closing the episode <laughs> with not that hot <laughs> not that hot not that ball okay Keith, what's the hashtag uh got anything in mind um well either
0: something about the uh the prostitute story at the end i feel like that there's a uh, that was uh that was big uh cafe latte you want to
1: talk about that oh uh, yeah we could do cafe latte there aren't a ton of like uh, real memorable jokes in the episode yeah. or maybe in this podcast either that, that or something really- about the wedding DJ python the, oh oh yeah python oh yeah something uh what, what something we, python uh, well, wedding python yeah wedding python
0: or i like wedding python Yeah, wedding python or
1: uh food poisoning python that's a lot of that's a lot of letters though then you got nothing left to tweet let's do that wedding python <laughs> like that. it is
0: all right uh so keeve yeah i've got to uh jump on to another call here uh in okay. a moment so Let's just uh, do the, a little bit of a hurry up on the goodbyes. Of course, you could follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. I'm at Rob Sister. And a special thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. What are we talking about next week?
1: Next week, the maestro. Jackie Charles makes his debut. We got the maestro Bob Cobb. Very excited to talk about the maestro. Looking forward to reading your
0: comments on posterrecaps.com. And, of course, we always appreciate your iTunes reviews on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes for that. Looking forward to hearing from you guys next week. Of course, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps for all of your feedback questions. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.